Chapter Three of Smith, Journalist by P. G. Wodehouse. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Psuke Berea. Chapter Three. At the Gardenia. "'It would ill beseem me, Comrade Jackson,' said Smith, thoughtfully sipping his coffee, "'to run down the metropolis of a great and friendly nation, "'but candor compels me to state that New York is in some respects a singularly blighted town.' "'What's the matter with it?' asked Mike. "'Too decorous, Comrade Jackson. "'I came over here principally, it is true, to be at your side, "'should you be in any way persecuted by scoundrels.' but at the same time I confess that at the back of my mind there lurked a hope that stirring adventures might come my way. I had heard so much of the place. Report had it that an earnest seeker after amusement might have a tolerably spacious rag in this modern Byzantium. I thought that a few weeks here might restore that keen edge to my nervous system, which the languor of the past term had in a measure blunted. I wished my visit to be a tonic rather than a sedative. I anticipated that on my return the cry would go round Cambridge, Smith has been to New York. He is full of oats, for he on honeydew hath fed and drunk the milk of paradise. He is hot stuff, raw. But what do we find? He paused and lit a cigarette. What do we find? he asked again. I don't know, said Mike. What? A very judicious query, Comrade Jackson. What indeed? We find a town very like London, a quiet, self-respecting town, admirable to the apostle of social reform, but disappointing to one who, like myself, arrives with a brush and a little bucket of red paint, all eager for a treat. I have been here a week, and I have not seen a single citizen clubbed by a policeman. No negroes dance cakewalks in the street. No cowboy has let off his revolver at random in Broadway. The cables flashed the message across the ocean. Smith is losing his illusions. Mike had come to America with the team of the MCC, which was touring the cricket-playing section of the United States. Smith had accompanied him in a private capacity. It was the end of their first year at Cambridge, and Mike, with a century against Oxford to his credit, had been one of the first to be invited to join the tour. Smith, who had played cricket in a rather desultory way at the university, had not risen to these heights. He had merely taken the opportunity of Mike's visit to the other side to accompany him. Cambridge had proved pleasant to Smith, but a trifle quiet. He had welcomed the chance of getting a change of scene. So far the visit had failed to satisfy him. Mike, whose taste and pleasure were simple, was delighted with everything— the cricket so far had been rather of the picnic order, but it was very pleasant, and there was no limit to the hospitality with which the visitors were treated. It was this, more than anything, which had caused Smith's grave disapproval of things American. He was not a member of the team, so that the advantages of the hospitality did not reach him. He had all of the disadvantages. He saw far too little of Mike. When he wished to consult his confidential secretary and adviser on some aspect of life, that invaluable official was generally absent at dinner with the rest of the team. Tonight was one of the rare occasions when Mike could get away. Smith was becoming bored. New York is a better city than London to be alone in, but it is never pleasant to be alone in any big city. 
As they sat discussing New York's shortcomings over their coffee, a young man passed them carrying a basket, and seated himself at the next table. He was a tall, loose-jointed young man, with unkempt hair. A waiter made an ingratiating gesture towards the basket, but the young man stopped him. "'Not on your life, Sonny,' he said. "'This stays right here.' He placed it carefully on the floor beside his chair, and proceeded to order dinner. Smith watched him thoughtfully. "'I have a suspicion, Comrade Jackson,' he said, "'that this will prove to be a somewhat stout fellow. "'If possible, we will engage him in conversation. "'I wonder what he's got in the basket. "'I must get my Sherlock Holmes system to work. "'What is the most likely thing for a man to have in a basket? "'You would reply, in your unthinking way, "'Sandwiches.' "'Error. "'A man with a basket full of sandwiches "'does not need to dine at restaurants. "'We must try again.' The young man at the next table had ordered a jug of milk to be accompanied by a saucer. These having arrived, he proceeded to lift the basket onto his lap, pour the milk into the saucer, and remove the lid from the basket. Instantly, with a yell which made the young man's table the center of interest to all the diners, a large gray cat shot up like a rocket and darted across the room. Smith watched with silent interest. It is hard to astonish the waiters at New York restaurant, but when the cat performed this feat there was a squeal of surprise all round the room. Waiters rushed to and fro, futile but energetic. The cat, having secured a strong strategic position at the top of a large oil painting which hung on the far wall, was expressing loud disapproval of the efforts of one of the waiters to drive it from its post with a walking stick. The young man, seeing these maneuvers, uttered a wrathful shout and rushed to the rescue. "'Comrade Jackson,' said Smith, rising, "'we must be in this.' When they arrived on the scene of hostilities, the young man had just possessed himself of the walking-stick, and was deep in a complex argument with the head-waiter on the ethics of the matter. The head-waiter, a stout, impassive German, had taken his stand on a point of etiquette. "'It is,' he said, "'to bring cats into the grill-room forbidden. No gentleman would cats into the grill-room bring. The gentleman... The young man, meanwhile, was making enticing sounds, to which the cat was maintaining an attitude of reserved hostility. He turned furiously on the head-waiter. "'For goodness sake!' he cried. "'Can't you see the poor brute scared stiff? Why don't you clear your gang of German comedians away and give her a chance to come down?' "'Der gentleman,' argued the head-waiter. Smith stepped forward and touched him on the arm. "'May I have a word with you in private?' "'So?' Smith drew him away. "'You don't know who that is?' he whispered, nodding towards the young man. "'No gentleman is he,' asserted the head-waiter. "'Der gentleman would not bring der gat into—' Smith shook his head pityingly. "'These petty matters of etiquette are not for his grace, but hush! "'He wishes to preserve his incognito.' "'Incognito?' "'You understand. You are a man of the world, comrade. "'May I call you Freddy?' "'You understand, Comrade Freddy, that in a man in his grace's position a few little eccentricities may be pardoned. You follow me, Frederick?' The head-waiter's eye rested upon the young man with a new interest and respect. "'He is noble?' he inquired with awe. "'He is your strictly incognito, you understand,' said Smith warningly. The head-waiter nodded. The young man, meanwhile, had broken down the cat's reserve, and was now standing with her in his arms, apparently anxious to fight all comers in her defense. The head-waiter approached deferentially. "'Der gentleman,' he said, indicating Smith, who beamed in a friendly manner through his eyeglass, "'have everything explained. All will now quite satisfactory be.' 
The young man looked inquiringly at Smith, who winked encouragingly. The head-waiter bowed. "'Let me present Comrade Jackson,' said Smith, "'the pet of our English smart set. "'I am Smith, one of the Shropshire Smiths. "'This is a great moment. "'Shall we be moving back? "'We were about to order a second installment of coffee "'to correct the effects of a fatiguing day. "'Perhaps you would care to join us?' "'Sure,' said the alleged Duke. "'This,' said Smith, when they were seated "'and the head-waiter had ceased to hover, "'is a great meeting. "'I was complaining with some acerbity to Calmer Jackson "'before you introduced your very interesting performing animal specialty "'that things in New York were too quiet, too decorous. "'I have an inkling, comrade—' "'Windsor's my name.' "'I have an inkling, comrade Windsor, "'that we see eye to eye on the subject.' "'I guess that's right. "'I was raised in the Plains, and I lived in Kentucky a while. "'There's more doing there in a day than there is here in a month. "'Say, how did you fix it with the old man?' "'With Comrade Freddy. "'I have a certain amount of influence with him. "'He is content to order his movements in the main by my judgment. "'I assured him that all would be well, and he yielded.' "'Smith gazed with interest at the cat who was lapping milk from the saucer. "'Are you training that animal for a show of some kind, Comrade Windsor?' "'or is it a domestic pet?' "'I've adopted her. "'The office-boy on our paper got her away from a dog this morning "'and gave her to me.' "'Your paper?' "'Cozy moments,' said Billy Windsor, with a touch of shame. "'Cozy moments,' said Smith reflectively. "'I regret that the bright little sheet has not come my way up to the present. "'I must seize an early opportunity of perusing it.' "'Don't you do it.' "'You've no paternal pride in the little journal?' "'It's bad enough to hurt,' said Billy Windsor disgustedly. "'If you really want to see it, come along with me to my place, and I'll show you a copy.' "'It will be a pleasure,' said Smith. "'Comrade Jackson, have you any previous engagement for tonight?' "'I'm not doing anything,' said Mike. "'Then let us stagger forth with Comrade Windsor. "'While he is loading up that basket, we will be collecting our hats.' "'I am not half sure, Comrade Jackson,' he added, as they walked out, "'that Comrade Windsor may not prove to be the genial spirit for whom I have been searching. "'If you could give me your undivided company, I should ask no more. "'But with you constantly away, mingling with the gay throng, "'it is imperative that I have some solid man to accompany me in my ramblings hither and thither. "'It is possible that Comrade Windsor may possess the qualifications necessary for the post.' "'But here he comes. Let us foregather with him and observe him in private life before arriving at any premature decision.'" End of chapter 3 of Smith Journalist by P. G. Wodehouse